Hi, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in San Diego. Thank you so much for watching today. If you'd like to support the work that we do here, please consider making a contribution. Go to our website. It's easy to do. Thank you in advance for that contribution. So we've been exploring together this idea of turnaround. We have been looking in part at a book written by um, Mary Alice and Richard Tahoe called Turnaround. And they say that there are seven pieces or seven steps to turning our life around, turning a difficult situation around. And it begins first with awareness. We've got to know where we are. We have to look at that honestly. And if where we are is not where we want to be, we need to be able to call it and name it what it is and not get stuck there. And then we need to understand the power of blessing. That blessing is to be able to see something more, to confer prosperity upon, and to call that forth. And today we want to look at commitment. You know, I believe that people who come into this teaching, whether it is unity or the science of mind, that we come into this teaching because we are feeling that call of something more. That when we get here, it's because we are looking for something different than what we are experiencing currently in our lives, or in our businesses, or our families, or our relationships. I remember somebody once saying to me that this teaching, though, you have to kind of grow your way into it, because it requires an awful lot of us, doesn't it? It requires much more than just coming and sitting on a Sunday or taking a class. It requires coming on a Sunday, taking a class, but then taking that information and living it and using it in the nitty-gritty of our lives. The very first time I came into Unity many, many years ago, it did not stick. And it did not stick because I really wasn't ready. But man, when I was ready, it stuck like crazy glue. I did those it way in the back of the aisle seat so that if that minister did anything weird, I had a fast exit. <laughs> and I swore I would never do anything like this. So I have a fondness for people who sit on the aisle seats and sit near the door. I'm watching you. <laughs> I'm watching you. The heart of turnaround, the heart of turnaround is built on recognizing a few key things. And I'm going to repeat these week after week because they are so important. It's built on recognizing the spark of the divine that is within us. We didn't put the spark of the divine there, thank God. It is there by virtue of the fact that we are made in the image and after the likeness of that one presence, of that one power that we call God. So it's recognizing that. It is also recognizing that we are more than this physical body, that we are truly a spiritual being living through this physical body at this point in time. And that it is about recognizing that there is a creative force that is moving through us and moving through all of life, and that we can choose to cooperate with that force, learn about that force, and move with that force. And when we do, Life gets so much better, so much better. I love today's turning point. I love the idea of commitment. Say the word commitment. <laughs> and say it with a smile on the face. <laughs> Nothing significant is ever achieved without commitment. I want to read some words to you. 
Some of you have heard these before. You'll enjoy hearing them again, I'm sure. And if you've never heard them before, they're powerful words to live by. They're words from William H. Murray. He was a mountain climber who led an expedition to the summit of Mount Everest. He wrote, until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, that providence moves to. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision raising in one's favor all manner, all manner of unforeseen incident and meetings and material assistance which no man could have dreamt would have come his way. I have learned a deep respect for one of Brooks's couplets. Whatever you can do or dream you can begin it. Boldness has genius, magic, and power in it. Boldness has genius, magic, and power. That the minute we commit, <coughs> we're not just bringing our energy into whatever it is that we have committed to, but the minute that we commit, we are pulling a demand on the universe to begin to move and work through us with clarity and with decisiveness. With clarity and decisiveness. I was thinking about commitment last night, and I was thinking about how commitment works on a variety of levels. There's physical commitment. There's physical commitment. How many of you have ever run a 5K or a half marathon or a marathon? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Quite a few of us. I remember the commitment it took of me to run my first half marathon. And I remember the physical commitment it took of me to, to hike for four days the Inca Trail and to climb up to almost 14,000 feet up and over what's called Dead Woman Summit. There's a reason they call it Dead Woman Summit. I don't know how many women died there, but I wasn't going to be the first. The physical commitment and demand of one step more, one step more, one step more, and to choose not to think too much about how many other steps beyond the one step more. How about mental commitment? Have you ever had a big, difficult problem in your life and you just knew you needed, you couldn't walk away from it, you had to solve it? And the commitment of mental energy and thought and clarity required to bring to that particular problem, that particular situation. I remember years and years ago, we were trying to, to move out of a rented facility and to be able to buy this facility. It was like the toughest mental problem I ever had to face before. And to keep working it and working it and working it until it finally yielded itself. Or emotional commitment. How many of you have ever had to, to call upon the greatest forgiveness, the greatest unconditional love, the greatest compassion, the greatest understanding to stand by a family member or a friend or a partner as you watch them go through what they are going through to find their way and you know that you have to be emotionally committed 100%. It takes a lot, doesn't it? But without it, 
Without it, nothing significant ever happens. There are examples in the Bible of commitment. In Psalm 37, we're told, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. There's a story of Ruth and Naomi in the Old Testament. And Naomi, Ruth says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, that she will go wherever her mother-in-law goes, that her people will be my people. Where you live, I will live. Whatever is your God will be my God. It was a way of, of describing a level of commitment and devotion that was pure and was 100%. So I want to ask you, when you were listening to the song and hearing Nathan sing, and listening to the line, something's moving, something's calling, what, what came into your mind? What is it that you are working for in your life? I believe you're here in this room and in this teaching because you are working for something. I don't have to know what that something is, but I do know that within our teaching is everything you need to be successful. And I do know that a piece of it will absolutely require significant commitment on your part. I want to share just a few ideas with you on this topic of commitment. The first thing that we have to want to change our lives before we will ever take the first step. We have to want to change our lives before we will ever take the first step. That means that there's a certain amount of dissatisfaction that we're feeling, right? Because it comes out of a feeling of dissatisfaction that we say, wait a minute. I don't like where I am. I want something better. I want something more. I want something different. We have to want to change our lives before we're ever going to take the first step. And then we take the first step and the second step and the third step and on and on and on. Remember the story of Christopher Columbus. Now, I think we need to correct our history books here, but that's a whole other topic. But what I am motivated on, uh, motivated about, is peace in his journal as he was sailing in his daily log for days and weeks and months on end. He wrote the simple words, this day we sail on. This day we sail on. Describing the, I guess, monotony to a certain extent the commitment to continuing no matter what, no matter what. How many of you are familiar with the book, 10,000 Hours? Just a few of you, I want to read a little piece of it. We tend to only see the end result when we watch masters in action. Think about it. We tend to only see the end result when we watch masters in action. How easily gymnasts fly through the air or a pianist plays complex pieces <coughs> or artists make mass tours. What we do not see are the 10,000 hours of hard work that went into that moment. We become masters of our life through the same long-term step-by-step process. There are simple practices for wealth and for poverty, for health and sickness, and for good relationships and bad ones. This book outlines them all and shows you how your daily practices added up over time lead you to your ultimate destination. 
long after the initial mood has passed, right? That's, that is such a key part. Long after the initial mood has passed. You know, we feel that stirring of divine discontent. It, it, it causes us to long for and to want for that growth. To long for and to want for something more. And it usually is what will get a good metaphysician up off their affirmations into action. <laughs> but to keep us going requires a commitment that goes beyond the initial mood that got us up and going. Another piece that we need to keep in mind is that to successfully change our lives, we have to listen to the right voice. We have to listen to the right voice. Say that with me. So we have to listen to the right voice. What's implicit in that comment? What's implicit in that comment is that we could be listening to a voice other than the right voice. We believe, we believe in our spiritual teaching that there is innate wisdom within every single one of us. We believe that we are connected with divine mind. We believe that we are the ones that stand in the way of whether we hear that still small voice or not. We can listen to the voice of wisdom and truth and guidance within us, or we can listen to the voice of our senses that only tell us what we see at this point in time. Or we can listen to the voice of all of the naysayers in our lives, the critics and the complainers and the doom and gloom people. Do any of you have any like that? No. I think we all do, right? I have to be careful because sometimes we are they. Right? To tune into and to listen to that still small voice, not the noisy chatter in our heads. In their book, Jafal is right, unless we are strongly committed to overcoming a situation, to improving our lives, we, we run the risk of giving up before we have reached the final goal. Without commitment, we are like a powerful generator waiting for the switch to be flipped on, rich in potential, but incapable of activating it. The voice of wisdom inside of us is always going to encourage us to grow. Is always going to encourage us to stretch. Is always going to encourage us to believe in what is possible. We also need to understand that there is a link between goals. There's a link between goals and meaningful commitment. And there does need to be a certain reasonableness, and now I I'm cautious when I use the word reasonableness, but there does need to be some degree of reasonableness in whatever it is we are setting for ourselves as a goal. I think this can be particularly true on the physical level. For example, at this point in my life, it is not reasonable for me to say I'm going to go back and put my ice skates on and I am going to master a triple axle. That is not reasonable. 50 years ago, that would have been reasonable. But now, that is not reasonable. 
And you know what sometimes happens to us? We have that ego mind that when we hear something like, you know, all things are possible, we go, yeah, right, but what about that? It's that part of, us, of our mind that wants to keep us from really zeroing in on and looking at what is our ultimate stretch goal that really is reasonable. Does that make sense? That's a part of our crazy ego mind that we just have to say, get out of here. Or thank you for sharing. Or send it to voicemail and never listen to it again. <laughs> you know, and I do too, when we are just making excuses. We know when we are just making excuses. What is the goal, what is the dream that in the deepest part of your heart and soul you long for? That you know that if you really applied yourself, mm -hmm. if you really were the teachings, if you really were committed, if you really stayed the course long after the initial mood has passed, that you could achieve. What is that? That's what you're here to do. That's your work. Can you envision for a moment what an amazing world we would live in? Truly, what an amazing world we would live in. If each of us got really clear on what is ours to do, where and how are we gifted, what do we care about, what breaks our heart open, and we're to set that as our life purpose and goal and commit ourselves to achieving that. Can you imagine how beautiful this world would work? With all my heart and soul, I believe that we are here to live out our destiny. And I believe that we are here to make the biggest possible difference that we can make. And that if each of us follows whatever that is, we will literally co-create a world that does work for everyone. Each of us is here with our own dream and our heart and our soul. What I know to be true is that when you ignore that dream, your life won't work well at all. And that that dream, that thing, that way of being that you are called to express is not going to leave you alone. It's going to haunt you. It's going to keep popping back in your life. It's going to intrude in your dreams. It's going to intrude in your meditation time until you honor it by saying, I'm going to take one step toward that now. And after taking out one step, I'm committed to take the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And one of the last pieces that I want to bring into this idea of commitment is how important it is for us to really ignite our imagination and use our ability to visualize. These are some basic practices of new thought, right? It's amazing practices. We know that everything that exists has been created twice, first in mind and then in form. That we need to hold a picture in our minds of whatever it is we want to achieve and how important that is in keeping us steady and going. I remember when I was trying to get up, Dead, Dead Woman Summit, all I could 
imagine was a nice, comfortable bed after being in a tent for four nights. <laughs> Believe me, that was a strong visual motivation. A very strong, because I knew at the end, if I could just get there, I could put my head down on a really nice pillow. <laughs> and I was never going to have to do that again unless I chose to. The power of visualization, the power of picturing in your mind and putting as much of your heart and soul and energy and feeling into it as you possibly can muster. Think for a moment how much time the average person spends either watching television or with mindless games on their screens and devices. Imagine if instead of that, the same amount of time was spent visualizing, imagining, putting your whole self into the picture, what it is that you really want to experience. One is passing entertainment that numbs the mind and senses. The other is truly a transformative power. We sit here today because of a woman named Pearl Fillmore, who at the age, of, in her mid-40s, was given the diagnosis of tuberculosis, which was common in those days and very deadly. And she was given six months to live. She's a mother. And she was committed and determined that she was not going to end her life or have her life ended that quickly. And she and her husband, Charles, were involved in all of the popular thought of the day, which included this new thing called mental healing. They read everything that they could read. They attended lectures. And in the lecture that Myrtle had attended, she heard a statement that was absolutely the opposite of the way that she was taught to think about herself or to visualize herself. In that lecture, she heard the statement, you are a child of God, and therefore you do not inherit sickness. Whether you agree with that or not doesn't matter. She agreed with it. She believed it. And she sat for every day visualizing a healthy body. Visualizing a healthy body, writing about in prayer, asking her body for forgiveness for the faulty images she had held about her body. And in a period of two years, mind you, she had been given six months to live. In a period of two years of doing this work, this commitment to visualizing, she was completely healed of tuberculosis. tuberculosis. She lived to her mid-80s, a full and complete life, a spiritually devoted life, and we are the beneficiaries, really, of that kind of practice. It worked then. Do you think it still works then? That was a really lukewarm response. It worked then. Do you think it works now? Yes. Yes. But I think they say this in AA, but it only works if you work it. Right? And so what's the variable? Come on. We are the variable. We are the ones that are either working it or not working it. Remember, commitment is staying, of course, 
long after the initial mood to get started has passed. God bless you.